Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, you want to sign up for the premium channel? Now's the time. Using promo code BOX for 30 days, you get free premium content. To take advantage of that offer, go to theboxofoddities.com or the Himalaya app. Promo code BOX. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Weird. People in general or <laughs> yeah. specifically people you have in mind? <laughs> Definitely people I have in mind. Explain, yeah. please. So um, I was tootling about town the other day and there was a uh, truck with a vanity plate. Uh, there was also a like business placard on the back and side of the truck. Oh, you can learn a lot about a person by reading bumper stickers uh, vanity plates, and then, you know, if you have the added plus of a business placard, boy, you can nail a person down. What did you learn? Well, um, I learned that they do uh, plowing and uh, driveway sealing. Okay. And also that they're a demon. <laughs> so. What, what do you mean? Well, uh, it, the placard said plowing and driveway sealing. Yeah. And then the license plate said demon. Really? <laughs> Which seems kind of strange. Yeah. Like a juxtaposition of, of things that you're sending out to the public. Like, let me do your business for you. Sure. And also, I might eat your soul. <laughs> it just seems strange. Beazelbub Home Improvement Services. <laughs> right. It's like you don't drive around with your sensi placard on the side and be like, let me sell you good smelling things. And then a license plate that says murderer. Yeah. No. It's just. You know. <laughs> Doesn't make a lot of sense. These are not wise marketing maneuvers. I wouldn't think so. No. I mean, it definitely caught my attention. So in that sense, it worked. Didn't they just lower the bar when it comes to uh, getting your vanity plates approved in Maine? Yeah. Like it used to be you couldn't really, I mean, I'm sure they wouldn't allow profanity, but now I'm seeing, what was the one we saw the other day? Just not. Yeah. 
That was interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, you you could say that's any number of things. But yeah. you're seeing a lot more of the, like, F-U-X's. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, zero F-U-X. I yeah. saw that one. Yeah. And, and Blow Me was another. Yeah. They're, they've, from what I've read, uh, there are fewer qualifications to meet for your <laughs> vanity plate. Apparently. I still say that if I was going to get any vanity plate, it would just say it's. Monty then, Python's flying. I get okay. And then anyone who who understood it would immediately be my friend. Perfect. Yep. I'm just picturing driving down the road and having someone stick their head out the window and just like that'll probably never happen. And I would be like, yeah, my brain hurts. And then we'd be best friends forever. <laughs> And then they would come to your house to seal your driveway and then eat your soul. <laughs> we can't have that. I guess not. No. Um, I went first last time because I was suffering from a cold. Which you still are. Not as bad. I'm a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you mind if I go first again? Absolutely not. All right. We saw a little bit of a documentary one time about this, and we were just kind of flipping through, so we didn't really spend a lot of time on this, but but it fascinated me, and I did a little bit of a dive on it. And we're going to talk about how people, there, there was a group study in Hungary where they trained dogs to lie quietly inside of uh, MRIs and CAT scans so that they could read their brain reactions to various events that are taking place around them and to get to know what's in dogs' minds. I loved that so much. And was also so impressed with those puppies. Oh, yeah. I know, um, you know, we have a hard time getting our dogs to not eat my underwear. That happened twice today. Yeah. Two times. And it's not just like the dog going and finding it like on the on the uh, bedroom floor or anything. Willie will actually push the ottoman up to the chest of drawers and, and open the drawer and get in and take your underwear. You're just making stuff up now. Okay. I, I am making it up, but in my mind, that's what happens. So what is it exactly that dogs are thinking? We're, we're starting to really understand, and it's fascinating to me. Uh, according to the Washington Post, a study published in 2016 in Science, researchers at the, dog, at the Family Dog Project in Hungary concluded that dogs understand much more than we would think. I mean, we, we, we know they understand a lot, but it's even deeper than we had suspected, at least from a scientific perspective. They understand the meaning and the tone of human speech, and they process language in the same way that, that humans do. That's incredible. So they trained these puppies. They looked like they were labs or maybe golden, retrie- yeah, golden retrievers, I guess. They trained them to lie still in these MRIs. They put little headphones on them so that the noise wouldn't freak them out or hurt their ears. And these dogs were able to lie still for several minutes while certain things were taking place around them. And they were able to chart the brain activity and the response that the brain had to whatever it was that was taking place in front of them. It's an amazing project. Now, is this study that you're referencing now the same study that we watched that documentary bit about yes yes this goes into far more depth so what we watched together was that they had people come in and volunteer their dogs so there was a variety of breeds um which is really interesting i think that they got uh sampling from various types actually you are correct i was looking at a picture and it looked to be a a golden retriever 
And several of them are, but now here's a group photo of them, and it looks like a lot of them are golden retrievers, but there's, it looks like a border collie, uh, there's a poodle in there, oh, a German shepherd, a Labrador, okay, lots of different breeds. Now, most of the dogs were really young. Some of them were trained assistance dogs for disabled people mm -hmm. um, because they were looking for dogs that were eager to please. They wanted dogs that could quickly grab onto this idea. Now, these dogs all wanted to do their best, but they couldn't understand what the task was that uh, that they were being asked to do at first. That's a weird thing to ask a dog to lay in an MRI machine. It, it is. And when they didn't get their treat, in about a half a minute or so, they became frustrated. And when that happened, they couldn't use the dog because the dog, once the dog became frustrated, then it just seemed like it erased anything that they had learned up until that point. So right. they had to go through a number of dogs to find the right fit. Sure. Ultimately, they came up with, uh, it looks like about a dozen different dogs that they were able to work with. It's like if I try to get all the dogs to sit at the same time uh, for a group photo, uh, once one of them is like, all right, I've had enough of this trying to get it all together right. thing, uh, they'll just walk off. And it's like, no. <laughs> and then to try to get that one wrangled back into the circle is impossible. Yeah. Well, the thing is with, with dogs, with the, these dogs in particular, a lot of them got the idea, okay, you want me to lie here and not and not move. But they didn't understand that it had to be completely motionless they couldn't move even a little bit even if they licked their mouth like every minute oh my goodness that was enough to ruin the entire test so it took a while to find the right dogs but they found them and here are some of the things they discovered according to ranker we all know dogs love us but they really love us the research shows that dogs see us as family they see people more akin to other dogs not only do they love humans like they love fellow canines, but dogs love their particular owners even more yeah. than other people that they encounter. And I guess that's not surprising, but what's surprising is the level of activity in the brain area that, uh, that registers this type of, um, of response. Mm -hmm. It's not just a little. They fucking love us. They love us. A study at the University of Veterinary Medicine in Vienna showed dogs are more willing to perform tasks for their owners and that uh, when they receive praise for these tasks, the positive receptors in their brains just fire, just mm -hmm. light up. They, they love to please you. That's one of the reasons why it's so important, like when you're going through training with your dog, that you do the training with them. Yeah. That it's not just some rando training your dog, that it's you working with your dog. Uh, because one, the dog's results will be better. And two, you train. I mean, you're being trained as well, which helps everyone. Oh, yeah. It's a bonding experience, too. Now, dogs use 300 million plus olfactory receptors in their nose. They're so incredible. To put it in perspective, they have 300 million plus olfactory receptacles. Humans have about 6 million. Oh, wow. So it's, there's a big difference. They understand the world in a whole different way than we do. In a 2014 study that examined the canine capability to discern between a sense of familiar dogs and people and the unfamiliar, they learned that dogs actually prioritize humans over other dogs and pleasant smells. Oh, wow. They would much rather smell humans than other dogs or, I don't know, frying steak, 
for example, which is amazing to me. That is unbelievable. It also leads you to wonder, like, why they spend so much time with other dogs' asses, um, <laughs> if that's the case. Yeah. What's that say about us as, as, as humans? We're slightly more desirable than ass. Yeah, I think that's it. And in some cases, I would argue that. Yeah, for sure. Now, in addition to them prioritizing the, uh, the smell of humans over other dogs, they prioritize the smell of their human over other humans. And that happens right here in this house. So like when people come in... Well, I mean, no, that no makes between sense. between you and me. What? No, these, these puppies are great. They I love, love these. You. That, they do love me. They love me very much. But I will say this: I get home before you do. I get home. They're on the couch. They're sleeping, and Willie will be the first to wake up. And he raises his head and he looks at me and he wags his tail, and then he puts his head back down and goes back to sleep. Banjo, he won't even wake up. Okay, <laughs> when you come home, it's like all of a sudden somebody turned the switch on, and they like. <gasps> And they sit up and their little ears go up and then they jump off the couch and they run to the top of the stairs before you even get up onto the steps. They can smell you coming and they get so excited. Well, I smell like dog ass. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I, I feel a lot less jealous now. They also learn that dogs are very good at recognizing a human's emotional state. Yeah. And we've talked about how it seems that way many times, but this kind of proves that that's the case. Oh, it scientifically proves it. Yeah. That uh, the receptors in the brain light up. They, they, they empathize with you. Sometimes it might seem like they're even mimicking your emotional state. Dogs have this unique ability to, to distinguish between smiling and neutral human faces. And they'll use that information in their reaction to people. They also use visual facial cues to determine a person's attentive state. So they're very perceptive. For instance, let me give you an example. If a dog notices that you're looking at them, they will be more attentive in return. But if you cover your head, they may stop paying attention to you altogether. Not in this case with our dogs. You often will get down on the living room floor and pull a blanket over your head and they go batshit. <laughs> they try to dig you out like you've been buried. They're very helpful. <laughs> but also keep in mind that, you know, they're very attentive and they understand your your state. So Banjo knows goddamn well that I'm asleep when he starts stomping on my head <laughs> because he wants breakfast. Uh-huh. And does he stomp on your head? No. No. No, he does not. He stomps on yours. So I'm happy with that arrangement. Uh-huh. Good. Yeah, I'm glad. Did you know that dogs are the only non-primate animal that look people in the eye? I didn't know that. I didn't either. This study uh, deals with that a little bit. They, uh, what they do when they're trying to discern your facial expressions, they will look you right in the eye. And most animals don't do that because it's, of course, prolonged eye contact is a, is a sign of aggression. Right. But um, most, I mean, because of that, most animals won't even look you in the eye. Mm-hmm. Dogs do. They understand that there's a connection there. I think also a lot of animals, it would be hard for them to look us in the eye because of the way their, their heads are shaped and eyes are positioned. Right. Like you're not going to see a, a whale looking you in the eye. You just get the one eye and then you're like, what are you, what are you looking at, whale? And he's all like, not you. 
motherfucker. And then he breaks a pool cue over your head. Right. Because whales love billiards. And violence. You get a couple of drinks and a sperm whale. A clockwork beluga. Oh, my God. Right. Get attacked with a giant ceramic penis. But if you're a dog owner, you know the look. When the dog wants something. Yeah. He just kind of sits there and he's got those big, we'll even have a term for it, big puppy eyes. Of course. Yeah. They want food. They want to go out, whatever the case may be. They have that look and they've evolved that look because they know that when we see it, we respond to it because we see it as kind of like a cute pleading kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And at some point, dogs found out that that worked. It's become part of what they've evolved into. Which makes perfect sense because the dogs that we empathize the most with would have been the ones that got the most meat around the fire. Yes. Or, yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. It makes perfect sense. Like, I see I see you giving a little more cheese to Willie. Willie's an appreciator of fine cheese. And by fine cheese, I mean Velveeta. What, another thing that they've discovered with these MRI tests is that dogs understand the meaning of words. Of some words. When you tell your dog you love them, they understand it, kind of. Studies have revealed that dogs process language in the same brain region that we do as humans. University of Sussex study discovered that dogs are aware not only to who we are and how we say things, but also what we say. Scans from that Hungarian study show that familiar words are processed in the left hemisphere of a dog's brain, with the emotional tone processed in the right. A human's brain works exactly like that. Wow. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily that they understand the word exactly the way (laughs) that we do, but... Escrow. No, he doesn't know what that means. No. Escrow is a good name for a dog, though. It is. But they understand the feeling and, and the gist of what you're trying to say. Right, the connection. Not just the way the word sounds, but the way that you're saying it. Which is why we say things like, what a good boy. Mm-hmm. They, they recognize that. And also when I say mean things to the dogs, I say it in a sweet tone so that they don't feel sad. Well, yeah, you're, you're tricky. I'm going to take you to the pound. That's where you're going to live the rest of your life. I swear to God, if you keep eating my underwear, yes, you're going <laughs> to go to the pound. You're going to live here forever. Like that. Yep. Dogs also have the same hormones and chemical changes that uh, we experience when we're in love. There was a study at uh, Azabu University in Japan that found levels of oxytocin increased in both parties when dogs and humans gazed at each other. There's this warm, fuzzy hormone thing that's associated with a mother-child bond. Um, It happens between dogs and humans in moments like that. You're not just the only one feeling it. Your dog feels it, too. I wonder if... um rando wildlife feel it too when i see them um probably not no um but like we'll see let's say a skunk and i love him so much and he doesn't want anything to do with me and that makes me sad but (laughs) i recognize now that it's just because his brain is wired differently and he didn't evolve around a caveman fire Uh so he doesn't have a reason to love me no but I still love him. I know you do, sweetie. You can't have skunks in the house. I, well, I mean, let's be clear. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> okay. You can't have skunks in the house if you want me to live here. Do you I, not want to live here anymore? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're telling me? I feel sad now, but 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, if anybody has a room in a skunk-free home, uh, let me know. You know when you catch your dog doing something and he looks guilty? Yes. Yeah, that, that shame look that he has. Yeah, um, Banjo has it. Willie does not. Yeah, Willie doesn't care. Willie does not understand, like, no or don't do that or shame in no. any way. He no. just looks at you and wags his tail like, ha fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> they did a study on this. The results indicated that uh, a better description of that so-called guilty look is that it's a response to owner cues rather than it showing that they understand that they've done something wrong. Dogs aren't reacting to what they did. They're reacting to what you're doing. Right. But wouldn't they connect those two things, the thing that they did and the thing that you're doing? You would think so, but there's no indication. They, they can't prove that within this, this study. Sure. So what they're doing is they're not reacting to what they did. They're reacting to your reaction to what they did. Right. It still makes for great viral videos. Of course. Look at my dog. He ate my couch. Did you eat the couch? You ate the couch. You ate the couch. And then the last thing that I thought was just extremely fascinating when it comes to word recognition and the way that their brains react to it mm -hmm. their pleasure parts of their brain really light up when they hear a name that they associate with somebody that they love like for example let's say you've got kids in the house and one of the kids names is brandon okay if you're addressing the child, Brandon, come here, Brandon, 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 the dog will recognize and associate that word with that person. Mm -hmm. And if they love that person, which they probably do, sure. whenever they hear Brandon, their, light, their little brains will light up. And they light up in intensity based on the connection to the individual. If it's more of an intense connection, mm -hmm. for example, if it was you... If the dogs heard the word cat, their little brains would go. No, they wouldn't know me as cat at all. What do I call you? You call me mama. See, that just sounds weird. I know, but you're talking to the dogs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they know you as mama. Okay, but. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, here we go. I wish I had cat in an MRI machine right now. I'd like to see what part of her brain's firing. So when but, you talk about how so, mama's yeah, home. Yeah, they, their little brains will light up a lot more, I'm sure, than, hey, Jethro's here. Well, I never say that. No, you say the dads is here. Yeah, I call you the dads. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I find that fascinating. That is fascinating. These dogs, these dogs know more about what's going on than we give them credit for. And we give them a lot of credit. And now, that thing in the middle. Okay, these are stupid things that people said to police officers when they were pulled over. <laughs> Number five. These are my pants, but those aren't my pockets. So whatever's in them is not mine. Thanks for the heads up as to where the drugs exactly are, sir. <laughs> Number four. At a DUI trial, a defendant chose to represent herself. She introduced evidence at the trial, which the judge accepted. It was a receipt from the bar that she had left, showing that she had purchased two large margaritas. She said, do you see, Your Honor? I couldn't have been drunk after only two margaritas. <laughs> she was found guilty. <laughs> Number three, motor vehicle stop. Uh, license and registration, please. Motorist proceeds to lean over to the passenger seat, scoop up a handful of lo mein and put it in the officer's hand. He was locked up for his fourth OUI offense. Maybe it was. I love Lomain. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was a bribe. 
Here you go, officer. <laughs> I mean, that would work for me. Yeah. I would be a terrible police officer. I'd be like, you got some drunken noodles in there? Yeah, okay, move along. Nothing to see here. Number two. When asked, why do you think you can go so fast on this road? I said to the cop, I always do. I was not really thinking that through. And number one. I responded to an apartment complex for a kid eating a corn dog on the roof. Uh, the fire department arrives and the kid gets off the roof. I asked the kid why he was eating a corn dog on the roof and he said, because I threw it up there. His look of daw left me speechless. I was going to leave it, dummy. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer 
Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The Box of Oddities. It's not for everyone. Crystal sent us an email, Hello Freaks, way back when, in the 80s, when I was in my early 20s, I lived in a quaint Victorian-filled neighborhood in Sacramento, California. I love to walk the streets, not in a professional way. No shame. And admire the houses, crunch the leaves under my feet, pet the random cats. That sounds like the best day, <laughs> looking at old houses on a fall day, yeah. petting cats. Mm-hmm. Okay. One of my neighbors was a sweet little old lady that ran a boarding house. Sometimes she did gardening. She, w- she liked to do a little gardening, mostly at night. One day the police showed up and dug up her garden. It wasn't tomatoes that she was planting. My neighbor's name was Dorothea Puente. Was she the person who killed all of her renters when they didn't pay? Yes! Yeah! Okay, I shouldn't sound that excited. But yes, she's the woman who murdered her elderly and disabled boarders before cashing their social security checks. Vile. Vile woman who looks like she also knits. She she looks like a sweet little old lady. She looks like she knits. Yeah, the death house lady. Crystal goes on to say, at least the uh, current owners have a good sense of humor about it. And uh, she sent a picture and there's a sign on the front that says, the house is innocent. <laughs> that reminds me of that uh, picture that someone sent us of a house for sale. I think it was in Indiana. And the for sale sign out front had one of those toppers on it. And it said, not haunted. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is <laughs> the best thing I've ever seen. Plus, the house was so cute. Oh, wow. There's more signs. She sent us several photos. One says, it was that awful, awful woman that did it. Don't blame me. The house. Do not park in driveway. The ghosts like to get out to terrorize the neighborhood. Oh, oh that's great. Good for them. Thank you so much for sending us that email. What you got for me, girl? In 2011, a man, Mayan, a Mayan. I became Blanche Devereaux just there. (laughs) A man. (laughs) We all want to be Blanche Devereaux. Did you eat the last slice of cheesecake? By the way, you know, the Cobb's Comedy Club that we did the show at? Yeah. And I say that in past tense because this episode will drop the day after we do the show. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I'm confused. But yes, Cobb's Comedy Club is a place where you and I will have performed. By the time that this airs. Yeah. They have a um, a Golden Girls drag brunch. I love that. <laughs> I would love to go to that. I want to... Oh, I bet there would be some amazing drag B. Arthurs. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. <sighs> she was such a beast anyway. I'm just... I'm in love with B. Arthur. Anyway... What were we saying? Oh, yes. It's 2011. A man named Michael Spano Pescara approached Gabriel Preto, an archaeologist at the National University of Trujillo in Peru, and said that his children had dug up bones near his home. Ooh. Keep in mind that we're talking about Peru, so there are going to be... Bones in everyone's yard? No. Words 
that I'm going to work my way through, okay. and we're all just going to go, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you're going to butcher the beautiful Latin American language. Yes. Okay. I love you, South America. I'm just an idiot. So it's not you, it's me. All right. So uh, Prieto was excavating a 3,500-year-old temple just down the road from that site uh, when local residents alerted him to the remains that they had found um, in their area. Dr. Prieto followed the man to the site, and he was astonished. There were so many complete human remains and complete bodies in perfect state of preservation. Full skeletons. Everywhere. Oh, man. From... 2011 to 2016, Dr. Prieto and his colleagues dug up 137 complete skeletons and the remains of more than 200 llamas in an area that stretched about 7,500 square feet. So what was the human to llama ratio there? I have to do math. Okay, don't do that. It was like some to some. Okay. Yeah. So further analysis revealed that the skeletons were almost entirely those of children. And the slaughtered llamas were also found to be juveniles. Huh. Rope and textiles found in the burials were radiocarbon dated to between 1400 and 1450 CE. Ooh, is this another blood sacrifice? Children blood sacrifice thing? Yes. Like the Incan maiden? Just like that, sort of. Okay, okay, go. So John Verano, a professor of anthropology in New Orleans... Or Nolens, as we've uh, recently learned, uh, was analyzing the site. And he told National Geographic, I, for one, never expected it. And I don't think that anyone else would have either. It is a ritual killing, and it's very systematic. Verano with Prieto and other colleagues have published their scientific findings in the journal PLOS1. And Prieto told Newsweek that they believe that this ritual took place over a short time, possibly one to five days, where they wow. slaughtered 137 children. And 200 llamas. And 200 llamas. That's quite a chore. It's a heavy workload. It really is. The sacrifice site, formerly known as Juan Chiquito Las Llamas, is located on a low bluff just a thousand feet from the sea in Peru's northern Huanchacho district. And less than a half mile east of the site is the UNESCO World Heritage Site of Chancham, which is the ancient Chimu administrative center. So Chimu uh, was a group of South American Indians who maintained the largest and most important political system in Peru before the Inca. The Chimu state flourished between the 11th and 15th century CE, dominating a huge portion of the Peruvian coast. And uh, they're thinking that it went as far north as the present-day border of Peru and Ecuador and as far south as the present-day Peruvian capital of Lima, hmm. encompassing more than a 1,000 kilometers of Peruvian coastline. There's actually increasing evidence that Chimu territorial control extended into the neighboring highlands. And um, a lot of that has to do with like uh, artifacts that they're finding in different places and where their trade would have been common, like uh, macaw and tropical bird feathers um, in places where there wouldn't have been macaws okay. or certain tropical birds. Interesting. Yeah. So they're thinking that it would have extended as far eastward as the cloud forest and uh, the slopes of the Andes. So that's a huge expanse 
of land. Mm. Back to the uh, archaeological site. Some of the bodies that were found had been buried in cloth. Some were wearing cotton headdresses. Uh, many of the children had their faces smeared with a red cinnabar-based pigment during the ceremony. These weren't just skeletal remains? They were able to find, in some cases, skin and hair. Okay, so how? Was it because of the altitude? It was because of the the properties of the the land that they were buried okay. in. Okay. Um, it was a largely desert area. Oh, so very arid and chilly. Right. Because of the altitude. Okay. Interesting. Um, and here is where it gets a little rough. So I'm gonna give you a safety word, uh, which we will will say artichoke. Okay. Okay. Uh, so prepare yourself. Artichoke. That means. There might be something that would that might trigger you. That might be upsetting to you. All right. I mean, I'm sure 137 dead kids is pretty upsetting, but this this part does get a little rough. All right. Um. So their heads were were painted with this artichoke. Yeah. That uh, pigment might have been smeared on their heads before their chests were cut open and their hearts were removed. Okay. Was there any indication that they had been... Like sedated? Sedated, yeah, or rendered unconscious before they did that? They didn't do that to them while they were conscious. They were stabbed in the chest. While they were alive. Well, yes. Okay. That's right. how they were killed. Okay. was being stabbed So in they the didn't chest. suffocate them and then stab them in the no. chest. Okay. No. Good God. It's pretty rough. Okay, artichoke or artichoke off... Okay. The artichoke warning has come off. Okay. Is what I'm saying. So artichoke on, artichoke off. That makes sense, right? All right. Not at all. So DNA says that uh, boys and girls were present, meaning the sacrifice was not gender specific. Further DNA analysis could help help them determine where the children came from. And it turns out that some of the morphological details show them that the kids probably came from all over the empire. So they weren't just from that specific region right. of... So they didn't go in and just you know, like kill a kindergarten class. No. It was, okay, they brought them in from... From all over the Chino State. How they might have been chosen isn't known, but all of them would have been in good health, which would have been better than average health for the time, according to Prieto. Researchers noted that there was a layer of mud above the burial sediments that suggested that there had been a heavy rainfall or a flood just before the killing. Huh. And they're thinking that, um, yeah, that could be a coincidence, but it's also very tempting uh, to hypothesize that the two events are associated. What would the association be? That the mass killing was an effort to appease the gods um, and have them stop the flooding. Okay. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. There was, at that exact time period, an El Nino event which happened. And so the timing is perfect. And it's ironic that it was called an El Nino event. Yes, hmm. probably not what they called it at the time. No, but it's ironic from today's perspective. Prieto said El Nino could have caused extraordinary weather along the northern coast of Peru every 100 years or so. Mm -hmm. And um, there was an event that, that landed right at this time frame, uh, which would have affected the economy of the civilization, destroying irrigation systems, roads, and um, this might have been an offering to 
please the gods, asking them to stop the rains or the floods. Now, if that's true, I wonder how they came up with the number of children and llama that it would take to mm. appease the gods. That's a really interesting question. Where Where is the flow chart on that? Yeah. How does that work? I'm curious. Huh. Now, analysis of the footprints, which they have many footprints from that time period locked in to the the dirt and mud oh um, that they are able to see that there were uh, there was really like a ritual procession um that's fascinating there was a group of children and the llamas led from uh, the north and the south edges of the bluff to the site of the the murders so they marched them there and then murdered them mm-hmm. at the site yes and so Obviously, it took, like you said, one to five days, and obviously they couldn't kill all of them at once. So these kids had to wait in line? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, and there were a few bodies that were not buried, that were just kind of left nearby, which is really strange. And I don't know what that would mean or represent. And I didn't find anything um, as far as theories by people who know stuff well maybe maybe the the people responsible for burying them just got tired i mean there was so many there were also the remains of three adults a man and two women who were found in close proximity to the children and the animals and they had signs of blunt force trauma to the head Hmm. and they didn't have any um goods buried with them um they were just kind of tossed in yeah Hmm. Which leads the researchers to suspect that they might have played a role in the sacrifice event and were then dispatched shortly after. So they may have been the ones doing the the stabbing and the artichoke, the stabbing and the the heart removal, mm-hmm. um, and then were part of the the cleansing, sacrifice. Part of the cleansing. Yeah. The s- I know. Probably, if I had to murder a hundred kids, I'd want to be dispatched shortly after. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. How do you live with that? I I don't know. I mean, I suppose your thought process about why you were doing it would would matter, but I can't imagine that that would matter that much. No, there are are instincts that are that we have evolved mm. that are still there, regardless of what your societal beliefs are. Right. You still at some level go, this ain't right. Right. Now, human sacrifice has been practiced in nearly all corners of the globe at various times. And scientists believe that the ritual might have played an important role in the development of complex societies um, that would have had various meanings various intentions um, that could have been part of an effort to show the population what the elite were willing to do to appease the gods, uh, what the lower class had to do to stay in line, what, you know, there, there are lots of theories as to the many parts that sacrifice could have played in that society. This is really important to note, though. Elizabeth Graham, who's a professor of Mesoamerican archaeology at the UK's University College London, told Newsweek that um, it's difficult to get away from the fact that, quote, 
We lack evidence concerning why individuals claimed to have been sacrificed were actually killed, adding that she takes issue with the term sacrifice altogether because it's a word that you and I use and that Mm -hmm. we know what it means, but it has no equivalent word in Maya and Aztec cultures. Yeah, but they still killed people to appease the gods. Wouldn't they have had a word for that then? Weird. She continued that uh, she infers that sacrifice is intended to mean killing a living thing specifically and solely for a god. But this rationale for killing is still an assumption and not a fact. It remains to be proven, whether in the new or old world, that individuals were killed solely for a god and that the gods play in what we understand as sacrifice might have actually been kind of like icing on the cake and that cake's already baked. So she looks at it as more like there were many children and infants at many times during history that uh, kids were killed for population control reasons. Yeah, we talked about that in Rome. They did that. Right. Um, Oftentimes in areas where there was great social stress, for instance, if there had recently been flooding and there weren't resources to feed everyone, maybe a bunch of kids might have been killed. And then, yeah, it's also for the gods, but it's mainly to manage their social structure. No, that's fascinating. I've never heard those two ideas combined like that. Interesting. So that is a different way to look at um, what we understand as sacrifice. And it's, I think it's fascinating because I always kind of took for granted that sacrifice meant what I thought it meant. And not that they, you know, marched out and they were like, we're going to sacrifice some kids today, but that the understanding was the same as what I understood it as. Really interesting to think that it may have just been a, not a scapegoat, but more of a bonus. Okay. To yeah, yeah. Not the initial reason for the, right. the killings. The initial reason was we need more corn. Yeah. You know, so let's kill the babies. Oh, and by the way, the gods like it. That's fascinating. Yeah. Well done, you. Thank you. Anyway, so that is the story of the world's biggest mass child sacrifice ever discovered. So far. Well, yes, that's it's. it wouldn't have been discovered if it hadn't been discovered. So far. What? I have a head cold. Well, if you're interested in learning more, you can find the sources that I cited. Well, I haven't cited them yet. That's sort, what I'm doing right now. Sort your sizes. Newsweek uh, had a really interesting article on it. Uh, National Geographic. Journals.plos.one. I love them. This is a good one. New York Times. And what else did I cite? Oh, no, that's a story about Dorothea Puente. (laughs) I think that was it. I need one more book to read along with the other 20 I have going right now. Yeah. So I need to find a book on that. So as we mentioned, uh, by the time this episode drops, we'll have uh, done our San Francisco show. But we still have shows in Boston. And Charlotte and Nashville coming up in a week or so, the 27th in Boston, the 29th in Charlotte, and the 30th, the night before Halloween, back at Zany's in Nashville. And then we're going to be tootling about in Nashville on Halloween. If you live in Nashville, you'll probably see us on Music Row, all liquored up. (laughs) 
<laughs> Please come hang out with us. I'm so excited about uh, meeting you all and eating all your foods. Yes, and you can get your tickets at theboxofoddities.com. Oh, also, we should mention that uh, tickets to the Washington, D.C. show are on sale. What? Yeah, I'm just going to mention that quickly. You can find them on our website, too. Okay. Yeah. And Bridgeport pretty soon. Bridgeport, Connecticut. Any hoozle, we'll see you next time on the Box of Oddities. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.